Can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Gilliman paused, and the darkened sky lit up with a flash of lightning. He looked right at Benjamin Franklin. Can you make lightning appear and cause it to strike as you direct? Franklin raised his eyebrows. What an intriguing thought. Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max, Liz, and Nigel. This podcast is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And I'm your narrator, Denny Brownlee. By the way, as you listen to this episode from the audiobook The Voice, The Revolution, and the Key, keep in mind you can download your very own copy of it by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you'll find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, epicorderofthe7.com. Today's episode features Chapter 21 from The Voice, The Revolution, and the Key, And of course, later in the podcast, we'll hear from Jenny L. Cody herself as we pay a visit to Jenny's Corner. But right now, let's bring out our terrific trio of four-legged friends, Nigel, greetings, Max, hello, lads and lasses, and Liz. Uh, where's Liz? I believe she's going to retrieve today's mail. Why? I mean, why not Max? I mean, if we're retrieving things, well, he's the closest thing we have to a retriever. (laughs) That were cute. (laughs) Actually, I used to retrieve the meal, but uh, me and the postal carriers, uh, well, let's just say uh, we've come to a mutual agreement. I believe they call it a restraining order. It's not a restraining order, Mousy. It's more of a, a leash law. Indeed. If Max isn't restrained by a leash, well, then we seem to get skipped on the mail. Aye. Boy, you, you make one wee mistake. You think you're seeing someone trespassing and you take after him. You're protecting your property. And? And you happen to run a wee bit faster than they, and your front teeth happen to accidentally catch them on their pantaloons. And all at once it turns into a federal case then. Well, the post office is part of the federal government. Hey, don't I know it. And since Mousy here can't handle the bigger packages, or for that matter, any of the packages, we decided Liz might be the best choice for mailbox duty. I am here, Miss Amy. Excusez-moi for my tardiness. Oh, that's okay, but you're a wee bit late, too. We, uh, oui. I have several pieces of mail for each of us. Um, here is the new Choosy Choice Doggy Toy Catalog. Oh, goody, that'd be for me. What a shock. Uh, then we have a credit card offer, a 2% cash back on all your veterinary bills. Pass. Pass. Okay, an offer for mousetrap injury insurance. Well, that would be mine, of course. Uh, the catnip of the month club, that of course is mine. And, uh, the monthly electric bill. Monsieur announcer. Announcer, Announcer, lad. Really? Uh Uh-huh. Uh, who is it actually addressed to? Uh, right here, Monsieur Announcer Lad. Give me that, Liz. It does not say Monsieur An... Well, what do you know? Monsieur Announcer Lad. 
But but that's not my. I mean, you know, why does it? I say. I don't. For an announcer chap, he certainly seems to stammer a good bit. I know, right? Well, you get what you pay for. Oh, and uh, one more thing. Who sent away for a reprint of Paul Richard's Almanac? Ha-ha! <laughs> that takes the biscuit. Oh, that, my pet, is for yours truly. And just in time, as it will be the focus of today's Nigel's News Nuggets later on in the podcast. Oh, très bien. Then uh, might I venture to say that today's chapter will be dealing with uh, Monsieur Benjamin Franklin? You venture correctly, my dear. All right, you heard him, laddie. Start to reading. And uh, try not to stammer then. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, we'll do. Oh, boy. Chapter 21 God's Riddle Christ Church, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, April 27th, 1749. Benjamin Franklin made his way down the center aisle to the front of Christ Church and stepped into his rented pew, number 70 eight rows from the pulpit. As he took his seat, he gazed up at the magnificent brass chandelier hanging above his right shoulder. Its wrought iron stem was attached to the soaring ceiling by a cable chain, and its twenty-four-tiered S-shaped arms each held two candles that cast a welcome warm glow across the beautiful sanctuary. Although it was morning, the dark sky outside boded an approaching storm. The 43-year-old Franklin studied the flickering candlelight and silently calculated the longevity of the 48 burning candles against the length of the coming sermon. I pray the light will outlast the pulpit's occupant. Although he attended church now and then, Franklin did not have a great interest in organized religion. His father had wanted him to be a minister, but lack of funds yielded only two years' worth of schooling for the young Franklin— and at the age of ten his education and life path were his alone to make. He loved to read, and at the age of eleven picked up Plutarch's Parallel Lives, as well as Pilgrim's Progress, both of which became numbered among his favorite books. His curiosity about how things worked led him on a never-ending journey of discovery, scouring newspapers as well as the world around him to learn all he could. His first invention was a pair of swim fins, which he made when he was 11 years old, for his hands. Young Benjamin also dabbled in writing, penning a ballad after the capture of Blackbeard the Pirate when he was 12. At 15, his father sent him to apprentice with his brother James, who founded and published the New England Current. He longed to write for the newspaper, but had a difficult relationship with his mean brother, who would not allow him to do so. This didn't stop Benjamin. He posed as an old widowed woman named Silence Duguid and wrote 14 letters that he slipped under the door of the print shop at night. The readers of Boston loved the witty and opinionated woman, but when Benjamin finally revealed himself as the author, his brother was furious. He eventually left Boston and found his way to Philadelphia to work in a print shop there, Soon, he was duped into traveling to London in 1724 to buy printing supplies on a false promise of help to set up his very own print shop, and found himself stranded there without a job. It was then he met young David Henry, another young man struggling to become a printer in London. Neither of them knew that their friendship would one day electrify the world. But Gilliman knew. Not everything, of course, only that they needed to meet. 
So he had arranged for Benjamin Franklin and David Henry to work together as journeyman printers for one Samuel Palmer. Franklin eventually headed home to Philadelphia and rose through the ranks of the printing world in America until he purchased the Pennsylvania Gazette in 1729 and became the official printer for the colony of Pennsylvania a year later. In 1732, he began publishing the wildly popular Poor Richard's Almanac, selling 10,000 copies a year throughout the colonies. Meanwhile, David Henry rose in the British printing world to become editor of the most widely read paper in the world, Gentleman's Magazine. Of course, David had help, courtesy of Max, Kate, and Nigel, who arranged for him to meet and marry the sister of Edward Cave, founder of Gentleman's Magazine. The Order of the Seven had encircled these two men all their lives to help them meet and realize their purpose. Now, Gilliman couldn't wait until Franklin met the next human connected to their mutual mission, David Henry's cousin, Patrick Henry. Benjamin Franklin believed in one supreme deity, and that the most acceptable service to God was doing good to man. He believed in the value of churches in bringing good and encouraging virtuous behavior in the community, but he cared not which religion a church claimed. Although his wife Deborah was a member here at Christ Church and his children had been baptized here, most Sundays found Franklin reading and writing on his own. But today, he ventured out against the dark skies of Philadelphia to warm his rented pew. It was always prudent for the famous printer of the Pennsylvania Gazette to be seen at church, if anything, to be a walking advertisement to remind the parishioners of his work. He had made a fortune printing and selling George Whitfield's sermons when the preacher came through Philadelphia during the Great Awakening. He was now moving on from the printing business to other pursuits, namely his science experiments and higher learning for others. He was looking for investors to fund the establishment of a college. He reasoned that Pennsylvania needed to have an academy on par with Harvard, William and Mary, Yale, and Princeton. So he published a pamphlet on Proposals Relating to the Education of Youth in Pennsylvania. When he heard that a wealthy visitor from London was in town, he took the chance he could meet him at church. Franklin's smiling eyes met others seated around him, and he nodded politely as he settled into his red velvet cushioned pew. He looked up to the balcony and the soaring arched windows to appreciate the beautiful architecture of this sanctuary, now five years old. The magnificent brick Christ Church was missing a steeple, and Franklin thought the cityscape of Philadelphia, the largest city in budding America, needed one. After all, the bells could ring out news for the city, and the lanterns serve as lighthouses for approaching ships in the harbor. Churches are such practical things, he thought. The bronze 350-pound great bell rang from the small wooden belfry outside, signaling the top of the hour and the call to worship, as it had done since 1702 when it arrived from Whitechapel Foundry in London. Franklin sat listening to the peal of the bell, silently calculating in his mind, Forty-seven years times fifty-two Sundays times the eleventh hour equals roughly twenty-seven thousand rings. Of course, one must consider the other occasions for bell ringing to get a full count of times the clapper has struck the bell. Franklin's thoughts were interrupted as music for the worship service began. He adjusted his spectacles and rested his hands atop his walking stick, held between his black and gold-buckled shoes. 
His receding hairline was compensated for by its length. His gray-streaked, shoulder-length hair danced around the neckline of his blue satin coat as his head kept time with the punctuated notes of the organ's staccato rhythm. He gazed out the window at the trees blowing in the wind in the courtyard and soon saw raindrops pelting the glass. The spring shower was coming full force now, enveloping the church. Franklin frowned at the storm. If this bad weather continues, it will delay my experiments this week. Today we have a special guest visiting from London who has made a gracious contribution to our church building fund, the rector announced, jarring Franklin's attention back to the pulpit. I have granted his request to read this morning's scripture, which is remarkably appropriate for this morning's weather. He lifted his arm and smiled at the visitor who approached the pulpit. Mr. Gilliman, if you'd be so kind. Gilliman left his red cloak in the pew as he made his way up the few steps to reach the pulpit. He bowed his head humbly. I thank you, Reverend, for this honor. He looked around the room, and his eyes landed briefly on Benjamin Franklin. The reading of today's holy writ comes from Job, chapter 38. A rumble of thunder echoed in the distance, and an imperceptible smile crept onto Gilliman's face. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations, and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb, and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, This far and no farther will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Franklin's mind was energized by God's rapid-fire questions aimed at Job. He would mentally pause at each question, attempting to seek an answer. Seas are bound by land, but currents run through them from one land to the next. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth? to bring an end to the night's wickedness. As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay pressed beneath a seal. It is robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. Have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you explored their depth? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it, if you know. I wish I knew the extent of the earth, Franklin answered in his mind. I wonder if a corked bottle set afloat could travel on those sea currents around the world. A message tucked inside the bottle could relay such an experiment. Where does light come from, and where does darkness go? bellowed Gilliman's voice, bringing Franklin's attention back to God's riddling conversation with Job. Can you take each to its home? 
do you know how to get there? But of course you know all this, for you were born before it was all created, and you are so very experienced. Have you visited the storehouses of the snow, or seen the storehouses of hail? I have reserved them as weapons for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war. Where is the path to the source of light? Where is the home of the east wind? At that moment, a boom of thunder shook the church, and a deluge of rain pattered on the roof. Who created a channel for the torrents of rain? Who laid out the path for the lightning? Who makes the rain fall on barren land, in a desert where no one lives? Who sends rain to satisfy the parched ground, and make the tender grass spring up? Does the rain have a father? Who gives birth to the dew? Who is the mother of the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? For the water turns to ice as hard as rock, and the surface of the water freezes. Can you direct the movement of the stars, binding the cluster of the Pleiades, or loosening the cords of Orion? Can you direct the constellations through the seasons, or guide the bear with her cubs across the heavens? Do you know the laws of the universe? Can you use them to regulate the earth? Can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Gilliman paused, and the darkened sky lit up with a flash of lightning. He looked right at Benjamin Franklin. Can you make lightning appear and cause it to strike as you direct? Franklin raised his eyebrows. What an intriguing thought. He turned his gaze to the rain-streaked windows as the storm continued to rage outside. Wouldn't that make for quite the philosophical amusement? Who gives intuition to the heart and instinct to the mind? Gilliman continued keeping his gaze on Franklin. The corners of his mouth turned upward, as he could see the wheels turning inside the brilliant inventor's mind. Who is wise enough to count all the clouds? Who can tilt the water jars of heaven when the parched ground is dry and the soil has hardened into clods? He kept reading to the end of the chapter, but Benjamin Franklin wasn't listening. Gilliman finally took his seat, and outside the great bell rang out as the storm raged around Christ Church. Ever since St. Thomas Aquinas declared that the tones of the consecrated metal repel the demon and avert storm and lightning, churches had rung their bells during storms. For centuries, God-fearers believed that lightning was the expression of God, but that the bells of a church could ward off the dreaded scourge. Gilliman smiled at Franklin whom he could tell was already in his mental laboratory, hard at work. How can it be that so many churches have been struck by lightning while the bell ringers were ringing the bells, even killing some of them? Franklin thought to himself, furrowing his brow. The lightning seems to strike steeples of choice, and at the very time the bells are ringing. He looked up at the cross of Christ in the large window over the pulpit. I cannot imagine God would randomly punish his followers in such a way. If God makes lightning appear and causes it to strike as he directs it, he must be using his own laws of nature to do so. 
and those laws of nature are as constant and steadfast as their creator. Franklin glanced over and met Gilliman's knowing gaze. He nodded and smiled, and then looked out the window as another flash of lightning lit up the sky. Can you make lightning appear and cause it to strike as you direct? He recalled God's question posed to Job. Churches, God, bells, metal, steeples, sky. I am not Job, but I believe it is now time to try some other trick to answer God's riddle. Oh, Monsieur Franklin certainly had a keen head on his shoulders. Aye, and that be the best place to keep it, too. Ah, wise words, mon ami. Oh, it weren't nothing. You said it. Uh, But speaking of wisdom, why don't we take it up a couple of notches? At least, as we take you to the newsroom for another edition of Nigel's News Nuggets. Greetings. Nigel P. Monaco reporting on one of Colonial America's most popular publications, Paul Richard's Almanac. As was mentioned earlier... Benjamin Franklin's popular publication was introduced to colonial America in 1732 and was an annual mainstay in popular reading until 1758. With 10,000 or more copies sold each year, it was read far and wide, and, considering the lack of technological advances that we have today in atmospheric and meteorological sciences, was rather profound in its accuracy in long-range weather forecasting, and thus heavily relied upon by farmers, fishermen, and many others whose livelihoods depended on the elements of the great outdoors. But what set poor Richard's almanac above all the others was the wit and wisdom of Benjamin Franklin. With his thought-provoking proverbs, Franklin preached the virtues of hard work, such as, At the working man's house hunger looks in, but dare not enter or on being frugal with your finances, as in, Beware of little expenses, a small leak will sink a great ship. And in using great restraint with your words, with such witticisms as, Silence is not always a sign of wisdom, but babbling is ever a mark of folly. (laughs) I say, sounds a bit like scripture, doesn't it? Indeed, and it was this type of virtuous no-nonsense rhetoric that helped shape the thinking of the American colonists and was thus of great influence on the founding of the United States, the influence of founding father, Benjamin Franklin. For Nigel's News Nuggets, I'm Nigel P. Monaco, reporting. Oh, merci, Nigel. Ah, uh, it is true. Many of Monsieur Franklin's proverbs do remind me of the Bible's book of proverbs. Well, maybe that's because he picked up a few ideas when he were visiting church, huh? Like how Miss Jenny had Gilliman reading scripture to old Ben in the story. Aye, now that were neat. But I guess we don't really know what happened then, for sure. Hmm. Well, maybe we should ask Miss Jenny. It is time for Jenny's Corner, so, uh, bonjour, Miss Jenny. Liz, what's on your brilliant mind today? Well, it is not feeling all that brilliant at the moment, for Max and I are struggling with the facts versus uh, your imagination. How do we know what is fact and uh, what is fiction in this chapter? Now that is an electrifying question, just like this chapter is an electrifying chapter. Oh, I had so much fun writing this scene, and to get ready to write it about Benjamin Franklin encountering Gilliman at Christ Church in Philadelphia, I had to do a lot of research on Benjamin Franklin. The facts that you see are, are true. 
in this scene where I kind of give you his background, a little bit of his childhood. His favorite books were Plutarch's Parallel Lives and Pilgrim's Progress, and a lot of his interests. He was a multifaceted, multi-talented individual from the time he was a kid, and he invented swim fins, his first invention as a child. So getting inside of Benjamin Franklin's mind to bring him to life is a fascinating place to be. And I have to believe that Benjamin Franklin not only was well-read, he observed everything so visually. And the tie-in with Christchurch and him sitting there in the pew when a storm comes and lightning is striking and the bell is ringing and Gilliman is reading from Job, it just seemed a plausible thing that Benjamin Franklin would be inspired to pursue this experiment in finding out is lightning electricity with solving a practical problem with church steeples being struck. What made him want to figure out the connection? And this is where the fantasy came in, that Gilliman was there to read these passages from Job. But when you read those scriptures, wow, it does ask the question that Benjamin Franklin wanted to answer. Now, many times I'm putting in fantasy or fictional things in the story, and then I stumble upon a real thing that happened connecting my characters that I didn't even plan on. And such was the case with Benjamin Franklin and David Henry, who was Patrick Henry's cousin from Scotland. I have a note in the back of my book, a word from the author. And if you've never checked this out in The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, or any of the books, please do so. Because in the back of the book, this is where I put in things that I can't cover in the uh, chapters themselves. I will warn you, sometimes there's a little spoiler alert here and there about what's coming, but be sure to read them after the fact, because I kind of say, well, this was real, this was fiction, this is something we don't know about, but in this particular case, I stumbled across an amazing connection of David Henry and Benjamin Franklin. Now, for those of you who've read The Roman, The Twelve, and The King, that's the life of Christ told within the story of Handel writing The Messiah. This is where I had David Henry, who is present for the premiere of Handel's Messiah, and he writes his cousin John Henry, David's cousin, Patrick's father. But I never knew the connection with Benjamin Franklin And then another link to this whole plot line. So let me just read this. The timing of Handel's concert and David Henry's article detailing Franklin's experiment in Gentleman's Magazine in May 1750 with Peter Collinson as the link between the two was uncanny. Benjamin and David did meet as struggling young printers in London, and indeed it set them up to electrify the world together decades later. I thank you, Miss Jenny. It sure be obvious. You like learning, and then you like teaching, too. We, and I know you are excited about how kids can learn even more from the voice, the revolution, and the key. Tell us how, madame. Check out the brand new study guide for the voice, the revolution, and the key. It's now available for digital download. Or you can buy it in book form, too, on Miss Jenny's website. What's the address, then? EpicOrderOfTheSeven.com under the Books tab, 
look for VRK Study Guide. You can even order it right now. Oh, merci, Miss Jenny. And once again, you will find the VRK Study Guide at her website, epicorderofthe7.com. Well, Max, I know that our listeners will enjoy the study guide and will gain so much from it. Uh, uh, Max? What? Oh, uh, sorry, Liz, but I just started flipping through the new doggy toy catalog. <laughs> Either they get a whole section just on squeaky toys, then. Would you be interested in a squeaky pork chop? Or maybe... Uh, that is quite all right, Max. Uh, no, but I must say, it is good to see you reading uh, anything. Oh, thanks, but, uh, well... I were just looking at the pictures. Hey, announcer lad, you be needing a new squeaky toy then? Uh, why would I, Max? I've got you. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, lad. Uh, wait, I'm not sure how to take that. Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And remember, you can download your very own copy of the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you can find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thank you for listening, and join us next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. Have a grandi! A bientôt, mes amis! Huzzah! And ta-ta! And always remember, you are loved and you are able.